Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Book Lounge. Today, we are talking about 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. Your hosts, as always, are myself, Corinne Ritchie. And me, Tom Butler-Bowden. And and what we do every week, as you know by now, is uh, we take a great nonfiction book um, and we uh, usually something that we discuss um, at considerable length for 30 or 40 minutes. Um, and it's usually a book that uh, will help you in your work or your life in some way um, or just make you think. Um, and as Book Insights curator, I'll give my take on, on what I think the value of the book is. Yep, and I will also chime in and give you an update on the latest news about the author and the title. Now, for the most in-depth knowledge about this book, we recommend two things. One, the podcast is brought to you by Memoed, so be sure to check out the savable, shareable 10-point memo about this book. There will be a link to it in the show notes. And two, we also recommend that you listen to the Book Insights episode about this book. So that's going to be a more detailed summary, analysis, and overview. But here in the Book Lounge, it's more of just an informal chat about this book of the week. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so the book of the week is Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, um, a massive bestseller which straddles psychology, philosophy, uh, self-help. Um, and it's where Peterson, uh, in distinction to all his YouTube videos and lectures where he goes into a lot of academic subjects in some depth, this is his sort of personal uh, self-help, um, in some ways, motivational book. Um, so we thought a, an excellent person to come and uh, discuss it with us is Joe Barnes. Um, Joe uh, is well known uh, in the UK uh, and also has, has US fans as well and Australian. Um, he's uh, an author, coach, hypnotherapist. Um, his books include Escape the System and Do the Work You Love. And he also runs a popular uh, success club, uh, which meets regularly um, in London. So welcome, Joe. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Hi, Karen. Thanks so much for being here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Joe, um, I know, uh, I mean, your background is sort of motivation, self-help and so on. So this book's a bit more philosophical, I guess. Um, than something like, you know, Think and Grow Rich or uh, The Magic of Thinking Big. So I'm just interested to know, like, you know, how you discovered this book and um, why, why it was uh, of interest to you. I think, actually, just before I say that, it's, it's strange because it's almost anti-motivation. I think in, in, I actually listened to this book. I listened to the audio version. I must have heard five times, six times him saying, life is suffering. Life is suffering. It's just a theme he, he consistently repeats. So even though some of the advice is excellent and there's, it's, it's very thought provoking, it's not at all your typical motivation book. Hence why I hadn't really come across it or thought to read it until. I was doing some research for my fourth book that I'm writing now. I wanted to write something not of a similar content, but a similar idea. I was going to come, come up with the 25 rules for, for living. But they were going to be very different to Jordan Peterson. So I thought a great way of researching this is by reading his book, by reading Laws of Power as well. Um, I read that in as purely as research to find out what it was like, how they 
crafted their book. Now, my book subsequently changed quite dramatically. I'm calling it the Rebel Code now, and it's only focusing on 12 or 13 steps or rules. But this book was good for me because it really um, saw, saw the way he fleshed out his points of view and arguments, the, the examples he brought in, all of that I found very, um, I thought he did it excellently and I found it very interesting to read. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, did you come across the? Uh, does your do your rules include pet all of the cats? Pet the stray cats. Is that one of yours as well? Or <laughs> no, no. My mine are more. I think his are more sort of as as Tom said. They're more sort of philosophically based. Mine mm-hmm. are more, a bit more practically based. Although mm-hmm. they are they they do delve into a sort of philosophy of how you should live your life. But his ones are mainly focused on that and they're not really the rule as you say pet your cat he will go off on a complete tangent during the rule so that it has very little to do with the the sort of catchy title he has Mm -hmm. given that specific rule so i think anybody who hasn't read this book before will find those rules slightly misleading or they may think how do i actually use that how does that (laughs) apply to my life but i think if you if you take the time to listen to it or read it then you will you know there are lots of gems inside each different rule, but don't expect them to necessarily apply to the the title he's come up with. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think he's, yeah, if, if you read a typical motivational book, it's very straightforward and there's not much nuance or grey areas. Um, but being a philosopher, um, you know, that's a stock in trade, <laughs> is nuance. Um, and just some background, so people, if you haven't read the book or don't know much about Jordan Peterson, um, I guess he came to fame through his YouTube videos, and then this, but this actual book came out of uh, Quora, the platform, where he started answering people's questions about, you know, the best ways to live, and he, he came up with like 60 maxims uh, or rules, and that sort of evolved into the book. And, you know, it became very popular on that platform. Um, And I think they seem, as you say, Joe, quite sort of um, straightforward in the first first instance, but there's a bit more uh, to them. Um, I guess the the point of the book is not so much um, sort of success or happiness. It's really having a meaningful life. And I think he talks a lot about that. He never strikes you as a sort of super sort of happy guy. Um, and, you know, in, in fact, he often says that happiness is just a sort of byproduct of, of meaning and having a meaningful life. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if you, if you pick that up too and perhaps start off with, you know, a rule that has sort of resonated um, the most in, in this book for you. Well, I, de- I definitely picked up on him not being a particularly happy person. That was something that, that struck me, along with the constant repetition of life is suffering. His, just his, his, uh, if you listen to his interviews or his tone or watch him, I mean, it seems he barely ever smiles. Um, in terms of rules I liked, it was, I just liked his overall themes, really, rather than necessarily a particular rule, although one or two that jumped out to me was do not bother children when they're skateboarding. That was rule 11. I think that is a good, you know, he, what, what I like about Peterson, that that rule, and there was another one as well, um, 
the rule number five, don't allow your children to make you dislike them. I like the way he is sort of against this current trend in society to be overprotective of children, to not allow them to make mistakes, to regulate everything. So the whole idea of the skateboarding rule is that, you know, he talks about a park outside his university, which which kids were skateboarding on, but the whoever is in control of that area just boarded it all up or put these these very ugly um, uh, interventions on the apparatus that they might have skateboarded on to stop them doing it. And he's sort of lamenting the fact that there's no outlet for children, especially boys, to express the riskier, the more adventurous uh, part of their personalities anymore. And everything we, we're living in a world which is increasingly tame and uh, where we're worried about telling our children off or we we hate we we fear the prospect that they're going to turn around and say to us i hate you well he's saying that's you know it's not necessarily a bad thing because you've got to discipline them and make sure that they live you know they turn out to be good people and it's kind of immaterial whether during that process they say to you mom or dad i hate you you're you're making me do this you're too hard on me so i, I like the fact that he's a bit of a throwback in that sense. And I mean, this this throwback mentality applies throughout his roles. He's very conservative, which I'm not necessarily am, but I did feel that those two particular roles were were quite important today because I think we're going too far in the direction of, of regulating everything and too far in the direction of you know building our lives around our children, making sure they're okay they've got to be happy all the time and and he's saying well it's it's okay they don't they don't have to be happy all the time the more important thing is that you raise them with good values mm-hmm. yeah those were some really um really good lessons and it, it's interesting because he covers such a wide breadth of topics in this so you don't really come to come to this book thinking like i'm going to get some parenting advice like this is not the you know go to book for for that uh, but you're right there are some real gems about really thinking critically about you know raising kids and um, i've got two elementary schoolers at home and so thinking through like you know what he's talking about in terms of sheltering them and you know how do you walk that fine line of like keeping them safe and doing your job as a parent as like you know protecting them but then also giving them the freedom and the ability to make mistakes and to have an outlet and all of that good stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that's a, it's an, an, an interesting place to come to for, for parenting advice, but, uh, but yeah, he has some, some good insights about it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, probably my, we can all say our favorite rules. Um, mm-hmm. mine is, is number four, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to someone who else, not to someone else today. So I guess he's just going against the whole sort of media culture we live in now, where mm-hmm. it's very easy to compare yourself to someone who's already wildly uh, successful or rich or apparently happy or whatever. And he says it's much better to compare yourself to the person you were, you know, five or ten years ago, and that will show you hopefully how much um, progress you've made perhaps, you know, a better person. So I thought that was a very grounding, uh, useful insight um, and something that's so easy to forget. And, Joe, I guess you work with people, coaching people for success, happiness, whatever. 
Um, did that one resonate with you at all? Yeah, it did. And especially because he makes a very good point that you just don't know how happy or successful people necessarily are. You know, we may look on Instagram at people pretending to live their best lives, putting up images of them traveling or being happy or succeeding in certain areas. But he makes the point you never really know. You're not you're not inside that person's head. You don't realize that perhaps they're actually desperately unhappy even though they're portraying this image of living this fantastic life. So he sort of makes the point that it's it's actually pretty pointless to, to do that, to compare yourself with others, because you're never going to get an accurate picture of, of where they are on the, you know, the, the success stakes or the happiness stakes or fulfillment stakes. You know, it's not, it's not something you can know as an outsider looking in. So I think that's a great reminder just to stay, just, to stay focused on yourself and to make sure, as you said, that you're improving day upon day, I think is what he, he, he talks about in the book. So I did, I did enjoy that, that particular rule. Mm-hmm. Corinne, what was your favorite? Well, one that stood out to me was um, assume that the person that you are listening to might know something that you don't. Um, a lot of these rules, I feel like we've heard as sort of common themes in a lot of other self-help books that we've talked about on this podcast. Um, you know, some things kind of feel very familiar, but that one I found really unique. That's not something that I feel like we've talked about on this show in terms of like listening and assuming and all of that. There was just something that uh, really took me right back to high school when I read that um, that rule. I remember my senior year English class, I had this teacher who would just ramble on on the most random stories about how hot Tony Braxton was and just like just total nonsense, you know, and it had nothing to do with what we were studying. He would just he would just chit chat basically for an hour and then say, OK, read the book and write an essay. That was it. Um, and so I just remember the very last essay of my senior year that I turned into him was all about how, like, everyone in this room, they are honor students. They're applying to prestigious universities. Some of them are, like, raising families because they're the first generation of an immigrant family. I'm like, there are so many interesting stories in here. And you're assuming that there are zero and that we need to hear about your old glory days and your band and, like, whatever else. So, uh, but yeah, it just, it really made me uh, remember that feeling of like you are surrounded by people who all have fascinating and interesting and valuable things to add and how much you might miss in your life by just assuming that you're the smartest person in the room or the most interesting person in the room or whatever. Um, So I like that takeaway of just, you know, listening to others, thinking deeply about their experience. And just like you said, Joe, um, you know, we only get tiny slices of people's lives via Instagram or even a conversation. Uh, So just keeping in mind that idea that I'm only seeing a tiny slice and there's probably so much more depth and breadth to this person did did you get a good grade on your essay uh, yeah i did i did oh really even though, <laughs> even though even it was though... very clearly like can you not but but um yeah no i did i did he he, he wrote on the top you're such a dreamer I'm like okay whatever just give me my a and let me get out of here <laughs> <laughs> yeah he is very big on listening <clears throat> and um even to the extent he calls it active philosophy so not just waiting to hear what someone has to say and then so you can jump in, but actively listening so that even with the possibility that it might make you change your mind. Um, do you, yeah. 
Do you think, Tom, that's something he actually practices, though, when he's because I always get the impression when I see him on a talk show or I see him interviewed, he doesn't do a whole lot of listening. He's <laughs> true. This is he's very forthright in his opinions and not never would I see him, you know, if there's a panel of people taking on board what somebody says and maybe altering what he thinks at all. It's all very much the world according to Jordan Peterson and this is right and so I don't, I don't know. He makes a great point, but I, I'm I'm curious as to whether he actually does do that in, in his own life or at least in his public life. Yes, I, I imagine he probably does it in his family, but I think mm. his intellectual positions are probably pretty well set. Um, and I saw him actually in person because he does these speaking tours and um, there was a bit of room at the end for questions, but it was only <laughs> a few minutes. Mm. Um, I think one of his rules that's more sort of close to how he really is is his number eight, tell the truth or at least don't lie, because I think it became too prominent. A lot of his intellectual background is having studied uh, communist regimes and what it was like under Stalin and so on and the massive costs that come from a whole society trying to cover stuff up and, you know, propaganda, etc. Um, so, and he does say in the book that sort of earlier in his career, he realised he was just sort of spouting other people's views all the time and he realised he was a bit of a fake. So that sort of changed his whole, changed his life really. And he says he became a, a bit more of a listener. Um, but I guess the point I'm trying to make is that um, he says humans are really... Uh, built for sort of deception and mi- manipulation and untruths and lying and so on. And the, the subtitle of the book is An Antidote to Chaos, which is a sort of a weird subtitle for, for a self-help book. But his point is that by telling the truth, it clears away, you know, all the chaos in life. And although it takes a bit of courage um by doing so it it has this massive um clearing effect so for me that was sort of seemed like the most honest um point in the book and and close to who he really is talking of chaos can i karen can i ask you a question um he presents chaos as, as a woman chaos is feminine order is masculine did you, did you, and there was a whole chapter, I can't remember which rule it was, but on, which I found very interesting, actually, presenting a lot of evidence for why the patriarchy is not quite as strong as um, it's being made out to be a lot of evidence, you know, worrying evidence about how males aren't doing well in university and declining attendance in university and how really when the focus has been on women all the time, actually we should start to shift the focus onto young boys and men as well. But what what did you think of the book with this idea that chaos is represented by the feminine and order by the masculine? You know, that took me to another book, which I don't think we've talked about on this podcast yet, but um, the, like, women are from Mars, men are from Venus, or, or vice versa. Oh, yes. I can never remember the planets. But when I read that, it just took me to that place of, like, or the other one that I've heard is, like, the women have the spaghetti brain and the men have the waffle brain, where with women it's all connected and meshed, and with men it's all very compartmentalized, you know? Um, so when I read that, I wasn't very surprised that this, like, conservative male, 
male, somebody that, you know, younger people would probably be like, okay, Boomer is, you know, saying that he feels that chaos is like feminine and order is masculine. Um, It didn't surprise me. Like, I feel like this is a a thing that I've heard from um, more conservative voices, this idea. And and also similar to like, like you'd said also about, you know, wanting to shift the focus back onto men and um, the patriarchy isn't as big of a deal as it's made out to be. And, you know, I feel like all of those are very like conservative talking points, I feel like. And um, so very on brand for for Peterson. Um, And, you know, for me, like, I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. I think if I even say that any part of that is correct, someone's going to come knocking on my door. It could be a problem. <laughs> so, you know, uh, but no, I mean, I, I I hear what he's saying and I can I can understand it. Um, it. It's not a view that I personally hold. But I guess when I look to a book like this, it's all about is it useful? Like you can feel that way. What does that do for you? What does that do for me? What does that do for the millions of people who have read this book? Um, so I'm always looking for that silver lining of like, OK, you can hold this opinion. And also, how is it helpful? And so if it inspires a generation of young boys and men that uh, are better than the last in some way, if, if there is some kind of focus that needs to happen in order to, um, you know, make a better next generation, great. But, you know, if it, if it just turns into like complacency or reversing back in history and, you know, then of course, not so much. But I, I guess for me, it's just sort of a wait and see, like what, what do messages like this do? Does it make people dig in their heels more or does it actually lead to positive change? Uh, what, what were your thoughts on that, Joe? Uh, I found it really interesting. I found the stat, I mean, I can't roll the, the stats off the top of my head, but the stats he presented were very very interesting. And I do think, I think there is a degree of, you know, you're redressing a balance historically, <laughs> where where women perhaps are not achieving the roles they should be or should allow to be in society. And maybe, you know, that I think that's very prevalent in our society and culture at the moment. And I almost think he's pushing back about against that a little bit. And, you know, maybe at some point that that needs to be pushed back against because you can't have it just going from one way to the other. But the thing I found very interesting because he he really explores the subjects in depth. He makes this point that although you would probably label, as you said, a a conservative, um, he does make the point that you don't want liberal points of view getting too strong. You don't want the, you know, the, I don't know what the feminine, let's call it feminism for the sake of that, getting too strong uh, or political correctness getting too strong, because what that's going to happen, what's going to happen is people are going to fight back and it's going to lead to more extreme, you know, far right groups Mm -hmm. coming to the fore. And I thought that was an excellent point. And I think you can sort of see that maybe a little bit with the, although I don't want to say Trump is far right, but you can sort of see that pushback against political correctness Mm -hmm. with Trump and Brexit in this country, in our country, in the UK, which is a bit unfortunate in a way, because I feel that people misconstrued the problem. They, yes, there is a problem and political correctness has got out of hand, but choosing to vote Brexit because of that was not the right decision to make, in my opinion. And I think he picks up on that fact that, look, if you go too far in this direction, these far right organizations and people are going to start emerging. So you don't want to push too far in that direction. I thought that was a a good point he was making. 
Yeah, agreed. That sort of pendulum idea. And the further that you swing, the further back it's going to go. But hopefully we can find that happy middle ground. Mm. Exactly. Well, I think he he gets some of these ideas because he delves into like mythology and um you know biblical stories and stuff you don't get with the usual self-help author so his sort of references are, are sort of much bigger than uh your av- average non-fiction writer so um you know which is all well and fine but at the same time he doesn't um probably to your point corinne he, there's not much sort of scientific evidence or studies or anything that he cites in the book um it, it's not that sort of book at all, um, and I think some of the some of the rules I found a bit a bit too um, I don't know shallow is probably a bit stronger word, but quite a few of them I read and I thought, oh, is that it? <laughs> like <laughs> this guy is meant to have all these incredible knowledge and so on, but things like treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping, and make friends with people who want the best for you just sort of seemed a bit anodyne um, for this great professor. So, um, yeah, I don't know what, what you guys thought about that. They, they seem like ideas that you'd find in, like, any sort of run-of-the-mill self-help book rather than something card. being very groundbreaking. Or I'd agree, but then I think the depth he then goes to in explaining the rule makes up for that because I think, to his credit, he... He, he goes off in different areas from the starting point of what seems a very basic rule. He then brings in lots of different things. And I feel he do, does rely too heavily on the, the mythology or the Christianity. That's, it was countless times he was bringing in biblical references. And that did, it, it, for me, it got a little bit too much at times. But I, I was quite admired the way he started with a seemingly... Um, boring or mundane rule and then was able to weave this these different facets to it and these different stories into it so i was i actually was quite impressed with that Mm -hmm. um sure yeah and um i mean let's just quickly go over some of the other rules i think the first one is stand up straight with your shoulders back which uh, seems a bit weird, what's that about? And then he goes and talking about lobsters and the dominance hierarchy and how every being on the planet is sort of built to um, see where they are in the pecking order. Um, And, you know, social status is such an incredible driver in um, human beings. And I quite like his, he's quite compassionate here because he says that, if you've been born into a world or things don't go well for you and you you find that, you know, it's sort of fallen back a bit, it affects your whole physiology and demeanour and it's hard to sort of stand up straight again. And, um, you, know, uh, you know, if you've had like bullying or abuse in childhood and so on. So he's saying that something as simple as changing your body language can have can break this cycle of low self-esteem, uh, which I thought was an interesting idea, um, but probably a bit sort of hard to do. I think there's a lot of other a lot of other factors that play here. Uh, so again, I thought it was interesting, but it's not something that really stuck with me. Uh, any other rules that we yeah want you on to talk about or? 
<clears throat> um, so the, the, the last one, the pet a cat when you encounter one on the street, it wasn't so much the rule, but it was the, you know, the quite moving story of his daughter, Michaela. And all the, all that you can kind of, when you get to that end part, as I said, throughout the book, he's saying life is suffering. And when you get to that rule at the end, you suddenly start to realize why he has this viewpoint, because his daughter had these terrible problems with arthritis, some arthritic condition very early on in her life, which was causing her daily pain. And he documents the whole story and all the, you know, the multiple operations and how she eventually reaches adulthood. And she's still suffering with this. And then you kind of realize that, uh, okay, I kind of get why he's saying that. Coupled with the fact he talks about his early upbringing in Fairfax, I think it's Fairview, Alberta, and he's 400 miles away from the nearest town and it's 40 below uh, freezing. And, you know, there's not a, not a rosy childhood, basically. So then he says with the, pet, the, the whole pet the cat thing is that despite all of this suffering there are these random moments of joy that you can have during your days and one might be just stroking a cat if you happen to see it on the street so he's reminding us to look for those on those random days now i think the mistake he makes is that he is putting his his worldview onto everybody else which is that life is suffering and it's life isn't necessarily suffering we may all suffer but it doesn't mean life is suffering but He's saying you can still apply his rule because in the context of that, of things going badly, look for those small moments where you can pet a cat or you might get a brief moment of enjoyment doing something. So I, I related to him, I think, more than at any other point in the book when he was talking about that rule and, and uh, relaying the story of his, uh, his daughter's um, suffering with her arthritis. Mm. Yeah, and he has been quite open about um, times when he's had mental health issues and so on. And so I, I do like that side of him, actually, um, that openness and sort of compassion, etc. Um, guys, uh, Joe, we always have a point where we give the book a, a rating out of five and, and say why. Uh, Corinne, would you like to start? Sure. So um, I, if you've watched this podcast before, you know, my favorite books that we talk about are the ones like Tom said, they dig into the science. They tell me about the brain. They tell me about the body or the stars, or I really like the nitty gritty data. Those are the types of books that I love that are like, here's the data. Here's how you make the data work for you in your work, in your life, in your whatever. Um, so because this book is not anything like that. Um, I give this book like three out of five bookmarks. It's not my own cup of tea. Um, you know, personally, if I'm going to read a book like this, that's not going to be about a, you know, science or, you know, how to put data to work for you, I would actually prefer a book like Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strait, um, only because the writing itself is so beautiful. It's it, it feels like an entertaining read. I feel like this is almost the polar opposite, or um, at least like Jordan Peterson says, maybe this is like the masculine version of Tiny Beautiful Things or something like that. Where he uh, this this book also kind of reminded me of um, the the Manson book, um, Subtle Art of Not Giving a what like that it sort of had that vibe of like, I'm going to give the cold, hard truth and, you know, brutal honesty, you know, those types of things, which 
it has its own appeal and charm. It's not my own personal cup of tea. I'd much rather Cheryl Strayed's radical empathy. Um, I, I prefer, if I'm going to hear life advice, I, I like it to um, it, to be more empathetic and less uh, cold, hard, brutal truth kind of a thing. I feel like life has enough brutal truths for us. I don't need more of that in in rural form. Um, so yeah, for that reason, I give it. But it, you know, it does have some some gems sprinkled in there. I appreciated the sort of stoic vibes I got from this book, like you know, uh, in terms of setting your expectations for suffering, but then any joys that come along, appreciate them. Like I, I liked those little bits. Uh, but but it did feel like a celebrity writing something so that people will hear their voice kind of a thing and not so much um, a super actionable book. But yeah, so that's that's my two cents. Three out of five. Uh, what do you say, Joe? I, I don't know. Maybe I've come off across quite critical um, during this discussion, but I thought there were parts of it that were absolutely excellent. I really did think it was his thinking. I think I think the point you make is quite valid about Mark Manson and uh, that kind of hard. But I think he's intellectually far superior to Mark Manson. I think he's a better writer than Mark Manson. I think his ideas are better than Mark Manson. So I think it's a little unfair to say he's sort of a celebrity giving forth his ideas, because obviously he was a psychologist and he worked at a university. So he's, he's a bit more than that. Um, but what let it down a little bit for me is he, he waffles a bit. He goes on too long. The, the book could have been 100 pages shorter quite easily. Um, too many references to Christianity or, or mythology. It just lost me now and again. And his own biases come through a bit, bit too much in the book. So I, I would have given it a five out of five if it wasn't for that. But because of that, I'll stick with four out of five. Mm. Interesting. Um, yes. Um, well, I, I usually there's something from every self-help book I read that sort of sticks with me. But um, I'm sad to say, with this one, <laughs> reading the book again and for this for this podcast, um, I realised nothing had really stuck with me. I'm sort of more interested in the whole Jordan Peterson phenomenon itself um, than the advice uh, in the book. Um, but uh, thinking about thinking about it now. Um, I, I guess I'm interested in because he's got these sort of political stances, as you said, Joe. He's quite on the conservative side. So for me, I was wondering what the connection is with the self-help, and um, for me, it sort of boils down to like the individual um, that the individual has this power to to do things in the world, which is consistent with conservatism, you know, as opposed to liberalism's more asking the government to help. So um, I thought all of that is interesting, his sort of political, philosophical views. Um, and, yeah, he can write well. But, you know, as a book, um, I'm only going to give it two and a half out of five because it, because nothing has really stuck with me uh, from the book. Mm. That's harsh. <laughs> two and a half. Yeah, I think that's my, my lowest I've ever given. I, I think it is. Yeah, I was, I was just going through it like, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Um, So 12 Rules for Life was released in 2018. It sold over 5 million copies. So I don't know, maybe people like this brutal truth stuff. Um, So uh, Peterson followed this book up with 12 More Rules for Life. That one came out in 2021. Um, today, Jordan Peterson is known as a, a Canadian clinical psychologist and arguably one of the most prominent cultural and intellectual influencers uh, uh, lately. Um, his videos and best-selling books have attracted millions of followers, and he was a professor emeritus at the University of Toronto. Um, basically, as Tom said, he kind of rose to fame starting in 2016 on YouTube because of these videos of him uh, criticizing sort of that political correctness uh, movement and bill that was going on uh, in Canada that had to do with gender identity and expression. And uh, he was his basic point was that it, it was impeding on or limiting his freedom of speech. And that sort of amassed him a following. Uh, but it's like the both. He gets a big following, but then he also has gotten a lot of protests and and a lot of times, pretty much everywhere he goes, there will be people protesting him for uh, some of the things that he says. Uh, but, you know, despite all of that, he's got four million followers on his YouTube channel. And um, yeah, so that's kind of what what Peterson is is up to these days and uh, and how the book has um stuck around for a while. So, I mean, I will be curious, like I said, to me, this sort of seemed like somebody has made a name for themselves. Now they're putting out a book. Um I I think if one hadn't happened, the other probably wouldn't have. Uh, That's just my two cents. But I am curious to see how long lasting will this book be? Like, are people going to be continuing to talk about this book 10, 20, 50 years from now? I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think? You think it's going to tell the test of time? I think with 5 million sales, I think it's hard not to, really. I think it may may become a little outdated, but I think people are still going to be looking back into it because it's it has been such a phenomenon so yeah i think it will yeah i mean i think obviously uh, if he hadn't been the, the famous youtuber that the book would never have publishes it would never have gone to him uh to get him to write it so he is sort of capitalizing on stuff as was his speaking tours which have probably made him quite wealthy along with the book sales. And then, of course, there's been the the follow-up book, The 12 More Rules, which maybe we'll do another podcast on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, I mean, all that, I'm not taking anything, you know, away from him. I think it's great that we have people of a sort of more intellectual calibre who become influencers now. Um, so I totally applaud that. And I think the more people like that, the better. You know, the whole sort of self-help, genre you know is the bar's been raised on the one hand by psychology and on the other hand by philosophy so he he definitely fits into that um you know which i think is a a great uh, movement yeah i mean at the very least it's not a youtube of opening toys or playing minecraft so i'll take it <laughs> <laughs> exactly and i think we have a sort of 10 point memo uh which summarizes the book on on the memo platform so if you haven't read it do check that out and also uh listen to the full book insight um that we that we have done on the book um which goes into more detail more examples um from it 
That's right. And Joe, it sounds like your your books um, have some crossover and some uh, connection to what we discussed today. Um, so if our listeners or our viewers on YouTube, if they want to connect with you and your books, uh, what's the best way to connect with you and your work? Uh, I think go to my website, which is escapethesystemnow.com. You'll find my blog there. You'll find my contact details there. There's also links for my books there. They're, they're both available on Amazon, Escape the System, and Do the Work You Love. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube and you want to check out my YouTube channel, it is just Escape the System. You'll get some uh, personal development videos there. Um, also, I am quite interested um, in the theme of how society influences people in a negative way. So I explore that on the, uh, on the channel. Yes. Well, Joe, I think one of your original sort of inspirations to become a writer was, you know, in movies like Fight Club, you know, where where people are sort of feel like they've been boxed in by society and um, and no longer people no longer sort of thinking for themselves. So I can definitely see that thread um, with that and, and, and this book as well, actually. And I think it's a very powerful thing. Yes, yes. Yeah. I think he, he does actually talk. He briefly references Fight Club in, in 12 Rules. But yeah, ab absolutely. Great. So we'll definitely include links in our show notes to um, connect with you, Joe, and with your books. Um, so thank you so much for joining us to discuss this book. Really appreciate you being here. Well, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you. And for those watching, be sure to tune in every Wednesday. We've got a new book of the week. So be sure to check us out on YouTube. We're also uh, on all the podcast platforms and on social media at Book Insights Pod. Thanks again and hope you'll join us again next time. <laughs>